Welcome to the podcast. I'm Fernie, a professional psychic medium and spiritual teacher, and I'm here to help you cut through the human bullshit so you can get the most out of your life. This episode is all about how does one know if their beliefs and if their beliefs align to the nature of their being. Um, and this topic was a really good one because it was posed by a question. Uh, someone who wrote into my dear Fernie um, newsletter, they submitted their question and I thought that it was pretty good. So I wanted to do a podcast episode about this. Um, I also am on, I'm on uh, Instagram live as well. So I'm going to be interacting with everyone on Instagram also. So everybody can kind of um, weigh in and kind of give, give their own experience or give us a sense of what they may be wanting to know as well. So, um, so I'm going to get started here. So this is based on an article that I wrote for medium.com. And you can check out the article on medium as well. um, For those of you who actually want to go over the information I included in the article. So the question posed by the person on my dear Fernie is uh, I'm a I'm a Christian, and my family is very judgmental and damns my spiritual work as evil. How do you know that what you believe is a good thing and is in alignment with being authentic? What is rooted in your authentic nature and state of being does not and will not in most instances dissolve when it is tested by ongoing experiences of human dogma. It only becomes clearer and further solidified by the circumstances and challenges we face Uh, we individually face. The practices that do not hold will adapt or even evolve instead, still keeping with one's core beliefs. If there are those of us who believe in the idea of supporting life and refraining from killing humans because we perceive it as wrong, then we do not destroy life and kill humans. Despite simple logic, people throughout history have murdered others and continue to do such to sustain the belief system which promotes the idea idea of supporting life and avoidance of killing others. This historically has proven to be the immediate reaction from faith devotees who feel threatened against a people who are different and have their own expressions of competing ideas and beliefs. In many situations, those different ideas are often very similar to each other and are not in conflict except for the source, for the source it's come from. Here's an example of this occurrence. I was raised a Catholic within the traditions of Christianity, though I now appreciate the ritual and familiarity with the belief system. I willfully, choose, I willfully chose to leave the faith as a devotee during young adulthood. I made this choice for various reasons. The organization of Catholicism in its historic and consistent practices did not align to the core of my being and sense of ethics. It is estimated that within the last 2,000 years alone, hundreds of millions of people, upwards of 700 million, have been brutally tortured and murdered under the condemnation and sponsorship of Christian followers with supporting organizations. These followers have obviously not acted on the principles of the founder of their belief system. This is in essence a kind of ideological slap to the face of Yeshua, also known as Jesus, and is a great disrespect, disservice, and disregard for the teachings and practices of true disciples. If some of today's followers simply shifted their perspective, then it would be painfully obvious of what in fact they are doing, acting against their own beloved teacher, and sincerely, I wonder, if some would even give 
give it a second thought and feel embarrassed or even ashamed for their approach. It is a common occurrence for people who ideologically identify with a belief system of their cultural upbringing to lack actual training, practice, and comprehensive understanding of their beliefs. Instead, they opportunistically pick and choose which ideas and teachings give them the advantage and in simple defense of their established heritage. Ideology often times becomes weaponized as a method to manipulate advance superiority and gain control over others in challenging situations. The idea of being passive and submissive in any humbling way is considered a weakness, especially in male-dominated societies and cultures. Historically, it is better to defend your way of life by striking first and crushing any opposition so that those feeling threatened may have a sense of peace and protection for their chosen beliefs. And only then do they feel comfortable enough that they can revert back to the presumed ideal state that they are living the true path and word in their lives. It's utterly preposterous. Even the founder of Christianity himself did not appear to fight back in defense of his positions and philosophy when he was apparently captured by Roman soldiers and crucified on the cross. Instead, he submitted and resolved to the will of the Roman Empire under charges of sedition, and yet another example of his own ideology and beliefs. That was his defense. That and that example is celebrated to this day. So what can, ga- what can we gain from the aspects in our discussion? Do these historical facts and objective observations mean all Christians are murderers or that it is a bad belief system? No. Um, there are many Christian and there are many Christian-inspired organizations which do tremendous amount of good work to alleviate human suffering. Consider the example of Mother Teresa. Does it mean that Christianity is misunderstood by many of its followers and that the teachings of Christ are not rooted and authentically represented by many devotees? Yes, that is precisely what it means. A majority of Christians are followers in ritual and title only. Most devotees do not comprehend or understand the complexity of the teachings of Christ. This is the very real reason Christ was set to spend hours a day in debate with his disciples so that they could present situations in which his teachings and beliefs could be applied for the common layperson to understand. Note that it is estimated that over 90% of the population during the first century CE were illiterate. The average person could not read or comprehend what was taught philosophically, except through stories and examples of action. How... Is it logically possible for people to have specific? How is it logically possible for people to have specific beliefs and then to act very differently than those beliefs? This is due to our human nature. Humans are very complex beings. We have the ability of a conflictive mental state within our nature. This gives us the opportunity to know ourselves through willful expression of thought, emotion, and action, and not just an expression of our baser survival instincts. The challenge in our evolutionary process is that we still very much so identify our ideas with our baser survival instincts, even when it is contradictory and acts against our own interests.
People born into families of various religious cultures tend to mimic what is socially acceptable and do not make it a point to be accountable to the core messaging and religious tenets. They instead accommodate and align with what is an established social norm and defend it as their way of life under the jurisdiction of the religious practice. Most believers of Yeshua, also also known as Jesus' teachings, do not have the slightest idea of how to act as a genuine practitioner when faced with real-world circumstances and challenges which tests one ethical merit. On the flip side, many of the promoters of Christianity speak on its words but do not exemplify the teachings within their own lives. They have received no training or preparation for embodying Christian ideals. There is a belief within many newer sects of Christianity that if you will only accept Jesus into your heart, pledging an allegiance, then you are saved. Those people remain ignorant in that they believe to call oneself a follower of Christ is the same as accepting the use and wisdom in his teachings. They do not understand that true salvation of his example in the utilizing of his concepts and applying them in action to their life, which would grant them an experience of benefit and change change away from personal suffering. Yeshua taught a great many things and offered plenty of examples for those who may become confused with his concepts. The acceptance of the title follower of Jesus or Christian is not the implementation of those teachings. That is a fundamental truth. To call yourself one who is taught in the memory of a teacher and then instead fails to use those lessons when an opportunity is presented is blasphemous. That person is living as a fraud, and in our civilization, people, for example, who call themselves a doctor but have no practicing experience, offer no evidence, credentials, or medical understanding of any kind, are referred to as con artists. The same applies to the I am Christian social paradox. A Christian by title alone is truly not one who is learned in genuine practice and is enacting as such metaphorically spits on the memory of the master who has died before them in history and in honor of those teachings. So then the question for you as a Christian is, who are you truly? Can you operate more aligned to what you believe? If you genuinely are not a Christian, then is what you do consistently aligned to your chosen beliefs and sense of ethics? Does a majority of your experiences and actions support and affirm your allegiance to your faith, or are you not awakened to your authentic nature as of yet? These are important questions and reflections to have if you choose to live in alignment with your truth and with an integrity of your beliefs. There will always be critics of your chosen path. You're likely to make many friends and enjoy life if you operate from a place of knowledge and love than from a place of ignorance and fear. To all those who would chastise you out of fear and ignorance, I say set the example the Christ has set before you. So that's the article, guys. So um, the reason why I wanted to um, do this topic specifically is just because I think that in our society and in our everyday lives, we've gotten so comfortable with taking people's opinions and perspectives as an authority. And then there's a lack of 
there's a lack of integrity within their behavior or actions to those positions or to that title. And then on top of that, then there are no receipts. There's nothing to back up what they say. Um, and one of the examples that I use for this is I know someone who um, has gone around and they um, have touted that they're this uh, very important, like, person who understands spirituality and manifestation and energy and they consider themselves to be like an expert in human relationships or in romantic relationships and so this was someone that I knew back in the day and they went around just you know saying this is what I am this is what I am this is what I am and they were given a platform people bought into it they believed them and they would share what they understood or what they had read from different books about relationship Um, and I remember having a conversation with this person and I was like there's a little bit of like a you know whenever like someone is speaking and it kind of comes across like a salesman you know like a car salesman um and it kind of it would come across to me that way often and I would I just said one day you know have you ever had a relationship a successful relationship or a relationship that has endured and the question the, the the easy answer was no I haven't okay well do you currently are you in and and are you currently trying to have one or trying to have the experience of one so that you have something to speak of when you're giving advice to people about their relationships? The answer was no. So basically this person read a lot of books and walked around and gave a lot of example, a lot of answers and a lot of, uh, a lot of advice, but had no personal direct experience to speak of. And this is something that we run into a lot on a regular basis where you have people going around acting like spiritual teachers, acting like religious leaders, acting like someone who is in a position of authority of whatever they speak of. And yet they have no direct experience to speak of. And so, I mean, even today I was, I just saw this in in an example on law where there's this pastor was walking around reading from the Bible, reading scripture. And then he was comparing all women to basically like slobs and, and lazy people who they weren't doing enough to look like Melania Trump. They needed to look like that. That's the epitome of what a woman should be or look like, you know? And I was just like, okay, um, we're, we're, how, how, how did, how did the idea of a human being here right now, How are you taking that person and using them as an ideological example in comparison to the the people, the women who existed in the time of Christ? Secondly, how are you going to even put the two together? Third of all, who are you? You're a fat slob. How are you going to stand on that stage heavy, completely not doing anything to support this idea that you're telling all these women they should look like this or they should look like that. Like you need to back the hell off of the stage. You need to not speak about something you don't know about and you need to let people be who they are because women come in all shapes and sizes and they are beautiful across the board. So to think that all women should look like this and all women should bullshit, absolutely horse manure. No, 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 no. No one gave you that authority. No one put you in that position and that's crap. So for me, I was like, nope. Immediately I was like, you're totally going against the grain of what you're reading. And then you're like twisting that up into something else that has nothing to do with that. And that's, that's something that we run into a lot. People who stand on a stage act as if they are the expert without any practical experience or, or, uh, training. And then they, they say what they want to say which is an opinion and then they they act as if their opinion is the gospel and that that's a that's an issue 
that we seem to run into a lot nowadays because now people don't have to have credentials or don't have to have any kind of evidence to support their claim or to support their opinion. Their opinion is is it and that's it. Like if I said it, that's it. Okay, but where where's your evidence? Where's your where's any receipts or anything that indicates or shows that what you have to say is correct? There, there are none, but yet people still believe that. People will still buy into it. And it's becoming more and more of a, a problem in our society and in our world today. And so when you look at like things like the Gospels, when you look at the four, the canonical Gospels, and then you look at Gospels outside of the canonical, uh, the non-canonical Gospels, and then you think of religion in itself, I mean, it's kind of disheartening because you have to think that people have operated this way for thousands of years. We have operated this way for a very long time. And back in the day, there was no internet. There was no way to look something up. I mean, even just as far back as like, you know, 100 years ago, if someone told you something, there was really no way to check to see if they were correct right away. And there were still a lot of people who were illiterate. There were still a lot of people who did not even realize that they could even go to a library or they could go to a... a um, a go to a place um, to check that out within the municipality that they lived in, right? So they didn't know that they could do that. They just took it off of, you know, off of whatever the person said. And if a person made it sound pretty good and zhuzhed it up, they would buy into it. And that's what we do. We see now a lot of times we see people doing that. They speak on something they don't know anything about, and then they um, they act as if it's the gospel. So I think that that's just, it's, it's just annoying. It's annoying as hell, but it's also frustrating because some of this material, some of these texts are just fascinating to read. If you actually sit down and read some of the material, it's really intriguing and it's really interesting. And it's just ideas. There are human ideas that were expressed by humans trying to make sense of the world we live in, trying to make sense of our existence, trying to make sense of our relationship with, with source and with God. And so they were, they were putting these ideas down. But when you have people who have motivations, who want to manipulate circumstances, who want to get something from it, and you can't say that all of the people who have been part of the Roman Catholic Church have not had motivations or had uh, desires for power or had desires for control or for wealth or just look at the way that the, the organization operates to this day. Where do you see the large charitable organ large charitable side of the Roman Catholic Church. Where is that? Where is that? Where is that? When I go to when I would go to church on Sunday and I when we put a dollar in in the tithing uh tithe for the dollar, where did that dollar go? Where where are we seeing the 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 um transparency of the way that our leaders operate, right? Where are we seeing that? So I mean the Roman Catholic Church is the massive entity. It exists and it is its own little city. Um you go to the Vatican, but where is the arm of the Roman Catholic Church which actually sponsors all of these projects and programs to feed the homeless, to support um to support countries that are developing that have no no resources? Where are these branches of these organizations and where's the transparency and all that let's assume that they're doing something let's assume they're they're supporting causes and certain things i want to see it i want to know it and maybe i'm ignorant and maybe it's right there on their website and i just haven't gotten a look because i'm lazy but 
I don't think that there is a branch of, of the Roman Catholic Church that exists this way. For them, their work is through the church, through the congregations, through the ministries that they support all around the world, through the through the you know religious taxpayer, because that's what I call it. I call it a religious tax. If you're going to be part of our our um, organization, our religious organization, you have to pay a tax. And if you go to church and you don't put anything in that basket, you get a lot of heat from you get a lot of heat from people you get this judging look and so forth so you know there's a lot of it's 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 an entity that operates or sort of based around the idea of of financial sustenance and support this is this is why so much more religious organizations got billions of dollars from the federal government and those of you those of us you know and i don't put myself in that category because i'm doing okay but those of you who are really struggling those of you who really need the support and you need the handout who need the 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 propping up of the government that you helped to sponsor and to pay for you know you didn't get anything you got maybe a few couple thousand here and there but you didn't really get a whole lot of support you didn't really get a lot of help to pay your bills or to support your home or to pay for food you know the, the church got it they got a lot of money to keep their lights on for no congregation that was present but you didn't get a handout from the government to help you with your everyday regular issues and i think that for a lot of organizations that's a that propose that they support life, that they're in in support of life, there isn't any action to follow that up. It's it sounds good on paper and it sounds good in speech, but it's not really follow through. And that's the disheartening part of it. And so in order for us to really see a difference, in order for us to really start to see a change in that, we have to be the change. We have to be the change at the ground level, on the level of what we do every single day. And if we you know, call, our, call ourselves a thing, but yet you spend all week doing things that have nothing to do with the tenets of the faith that you are part of, then you're not that thing. And secondly, the tenets, are they tenets founded in love and compassion and charity for fellow man? Or are these tenets, you know, founded on fear and on an ignorance and in um, damnation and condemnation of your way of life? If they are founded in compassion and in love, are you doing anything to support those tenants? Or is it enough just to show up to church every, every Sunday looking nice and pretty? So is it more important to show up on church every Sunday and look nice and pretty and just sit there pretending to listen to what is being spoken about? Or is it more important to maybe give one person or one organization donate $5 or $10 to that organization for that week in sponsorship to the cause and sponsorship to whatever they are doing that actually reflects and is in, as is supported is supported by the tenets of that faith. What's more important? And you got to think about it. And it comes down to the basic common sense and logical sense. Like, what is more important? How are you honoring the teacher? How are you honoring the master? If a man came along and said, "I am the master. I am here to help you. This is what you need to do so that you can be helped." Is it more important to show up every Sunday and? worship that person and say you're amazing or is it more important to do the thing the person told you to do during the week when no one was looking you know what's more important what is honoring the master the teacher and know this that if you can call yourself a christian or you call yourself someone who is of the faith if you believe that you know oh i will go i will be judged well yeah you're going to be judged that's how you are judged you're judged by those moments where you are either exemplifying the faith and belief system, or you're exemplifying the vanity 
and the title entitlement that comes along with assess, uh, considering yourself a member of that faith, a, a member of that community and of that uh, belief system. That's the trick. And, and, and I think most people are in the latter. Most people are stuck with the idea of if I just go to church every Sunday and I spew Christian ideals, I'm Christian. No, you're not. You're not. You're a fraud. You're a fraud and you're a con artist and you're lying to yourself. And how are you becoming a better person? How are you actually improving life for people? How are you improving the community and the compassion and the love? How are you, how are you doing that? And so you have to ask yourself that fundamental question. And if you can hear what I'm saying right now and you agree with me, but then at, at the end of this conversation, you go back to just doing the status quo, then then, then you don't care. You don't care. And I would rather you be honest with yourself and say, I don't really care about any of that. So I'm just not going to show up, show up to, to the church and just be real. I would rather prefer that than for you to continue to perpetuate the cycle of cultural, um, cultural belief and cultural, uh, ritual because it serves no purpose. It literally has done nothing for nobody, not even yourself. And you're just wasting your time on Sunday and you're just trying to, you know, feel like a good person, make yourself feel better, but it's a very selfish thing to do. It should be more about you helping people, you being there for others, you actually showing what those tenants look like, what all of those, um, teachings are about. And that's, what's more, more important. That's what it's about. Um, and we shouldn't get caught up in the title because that's not at the end of the day, that's not going to matter. Right. So let's go over here. Let me check and see what you guys are saying about this or what are you, uh, what are you talking about with this? Um, let's see here. <laughs> no, I don't think it's considered venting. That's me. I wrote the article. <laughs> it's just like, who wrote the article? I wrote the article. Um, Stephen has a good question. That's how I feel about priests doing premarital counseling. How are they able to relate to a couple? Yeah, I think I completely agree with that. Now, granted, there are some ministers out there who are married and can can discuss it. Um, and that's more that's more pro prominent in um, in beliefs and in affiliations, religious affiliations that are not. Um, based on like the traditional Roman Catholic uh, model with the priests and so forth and how they um, they abstain from any kind of sexual or so I think that that's 100% correct like you cannot give people advice on things unless you have an understanding and an experience with it not only that but there's training involved with that you have people who spend a lot of time going to school to become psychiatrists and psychologists to understand these kinds of issues um, and so then you've got people walking around just saying that they're counselors or that they can teach you something um, or they can help you with your problems but they really aren't and they don't have any backing or training to 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 validate that and there's there's no evidence to support that they can do what they say they can do now if you have a priest that says hey i've you know i've counseled a hundred marriages and 80 percent out of the 100 marriages that i counseled were fine they survived okay you got a good track record that right there shows that there's something to it but there's no evidence to support that that's even going to be useful um there are organizations out there that do offer you know that kind of training and that kind of teaching and just that kind of coaching especially for uh, marital couples but i think the idea that people buy into is that oh this is from the church or this is from god it must be correct or it must be valid because 
we trust them. And there's a level of trust that's there that shouldn't be. You, you, you need to earn that trust. You don't get it automatically. You shouldn't just give away trust. You should let people earn it. If someone makes a claim, they've got to earn that trust through their behaviors, right? Um, <laughs> yes, actions do speak louder than words. Yeah, JR's Mama 89 is like, um, my dad and I get into this, and he thinks his God is the only God, and all other religions are evil. I'm like, wow. Yeah, but that's the thing. It helps people to feel empowered. Because you, you have to also understand from the perspective of being human, you know, being in this world and dealing with the reality of life is not easy, right? We're all looking for relief. We're all, we're all seeking less suffering because to be human is to suffer. It is the experience of suffering in one way or another. It doesn't mean that we're suffering every second of every day and we're in constant pain. That's not what I'm talking about. But there are things that we experience in this reality from this form that we don't really deal with in the energy form or from the perspective of, of spirit. So it's all limited. It's all experienced here. And we're all looking for a way to alleviate that or to release that. And many religions were founded on that in itself. You know, when you think of Buddhism, it is founded on the idea of reducing and ending suffering, but it focuses more on changing the way you perceive experience and life, the way you exist in life from the mental state. It's more focused on that to reduce that sense of suffering. And by default, you automatically get a lot of perks from doing the practices and following through with some of the ideology. Um, with Christianity, there's a whole different model to it. It's that, you know, you're going to suffer here. The only escape is death. <laughs> the only escape is death. So you better, you better do good by us because we ultimately decide whether you're going to not suffer after death or not, but you're going to suffer here. There's just no way out of it. And that's kind of the, the Catholic uh, Christian model there. Um, but which is funny because that's not what Jesus spoke of. That's not what Yeshua would teach about. He actually spoke about, you know, reducing suffering, being kind to each other, um, operating from a sense of community, establishing a stronger community. And yes, he did speak up against the Romans at the time. He did speak up against the, um, the nature of the the empire and its effect on their territory and how it was just another form of enslavement for them he did speak on that because he was very much against you know some people having power and all the money while others were majority of people were were forced to have to endure you know really really wretched circumstances. And so he wanted to flip that around. He wanted to kind of turn it on its head and he would speak up on that. And that was seditious. That was, that was very dangerous because you're basically saying that this empire and this organization, this government doesn't have a right to, to, to have this much control and power over us. And we need to check it. We need to put it into, we need to get it under control or check it. Um, but these are foreigners, you know, the Romans invaded that territory, not that long prior to his birth. So there was already like a feeling of like, oh, these people are here. And so unless if you either fought against it or you became a part of that system, you had a lot of um, Jewish men who became part of the Roman military because 
the the one of the things that made the Romans so successful is that when they whenever they would go into a territory to conquer it, instead of trying to go in and wipe everything out, they went in with this assumed power. And they would set an example and they would also prove their might through the the wars that they had, but they didn't want to go and just demolish and destroy everything. They knew that it took more effort and resources to build up a place in their, in their um, empire's name than to actually just uh, absorb that community into the empire. And that's what inevitably happened. You had a bunch of Jewish males who would go and they would just become soldiers in the military and um, people who would, you know, the priesthood, the uh, priesthood, the ones who um, operated within the temple, um, they the the temple because there was only one temple. There was only one church at that time, which was the main church. I mean, they had like small gatherings in their own homes and such, but they really that was the one thing that was like the it was almost like they were it was like their Vatican at the time, and so that was the the main complex. And their focus was to work with the culture and to kind of bring it into the fold and then they and then force the culture force the organizations and the civilizations and the local governments and kingships and so forth force them to pay them to protect them it's almost like bullies it's almost like a, like a gang if you pay me $50 a week i'll protect your house and i won't actually destroy your house as well it's almost like well, shoot let's go ahead and pay let's pay them the money and then they're going to protect us and we're under their jurisdiction and that's what they ended up doing with the romans um, and jesus wasn't happy with that he was like that's crap that's that's bullshit. Obviously that's what he was saying in, in the way he said it uh, because he didn't believe that that was okay. And he grew up as a Jewish male at the time. So he had very set, uh, he, he had very uh, interesting ideas and set beliefs about that. He was an apocalyptic Jew was, which was someone who believed that the, the kingdom of David was upon them. And so that was going to come any day. There was this, this glorifying uh, romantic element to the idea that we could live in a perfect world. And so he had that mindset and he was trying to help people get there. But in his mindset and from where he was coming from, it wasn't about let's destroy and wipe everybody out. And then let's, and then we can replace them with our way of life. It was, we need to start with ourselves and change ourselves to see the change in our world. And that's why he talked about, you know, nonviolence in some instances, in a lot of instances, even though he still, in some instances, did act in an aggressive nature, but a majority of his work was nonviolent and more focused on love and compassion and helping each other and, and you know, m- you know, not judging other people or damning other people, um, etc. <laughs> Stephen was you just said that judge not uh, lest you be judged yet that is all the church does judge people for their sins um, everyone sins we just do it differently well yeah and you also have to think about the word sin itself because there's a complete misunderstanding from the word sin which is part of the ignorance of of the faith because people believe that the word sin means wrong evil bad and the word sin based in the language at the time Christ spoke, which was Aramaic, um, if you look it up, um, the word sin doesn't mean any any of those things. The word sin simply means having an intent or having a target and then aiming for that target. And if you miss, then you've sinned. Try again. That was pretty much the basic idea of the word sin from the time and in the context of the language at that time. So for for all these years to pass, you know, we were, we were, we're 2000 years past that now people, when they think of the word sin, it means something completely different. Don't change the words as they were spoken and apply it to your, and and then morph it into something you can relate to. Acknowledge the word for how it was used and acknowledge 
the religious beliefs and the ideas and the concepts um, for how they were meant to be used, how they were used at the time. Don't morph it into something that makes sense. Now, don't turn it into, well, you know, Jesus said this, so that means that everybody needs to look like Mary Magdalene. I mean, everybody needs to look like Melania Trump. Okay, I don't think that's what Jesus said, but okay, you can say that, but that does, that's not what Jesus said. So don't go taking something and bastardizing it because you don't have a grasp or understanding of what the master spoke because that's something to be honored and revered, not to be uh, twisted and manipulated in a way that that um, so supports your your horny teenage fantasies. Like that's that's ridiculous, right? So no, it's just it's it's ridiculous. Um, Erica says, some people like to put the fear of their God on the people. Yes, it's definitely based on fear. Beliefs should come easy and peaceful. Beliefs, you know, my approach for understanding this world, and I I do appreciate the work of the masters. I do appreciate the work of all those who have come before because there is a lot to be learned from just watching what they've, they've come up with or what they've approached, you know, how they've approached it. Um, my way of approaching life now is not to try to force this world or what I experience in this world into a belief system that I have. My approach is now to just observe because I fundamentally believe that the secrets or the teachings or the lessons of creation, the lessons of the truth of who we are, why we're here and what we're doing here is exemplified and represented all over the damn place. And if you are conscious enough and you're aware enough and you pay attention, you will catch the themes. You will notice the synchronicities and you will notice the parallels and all of the, all of the um, clues that life has got all over the place. I mean, it, the clues are everywhere. You look at our life, you, you pay attention to all the little things, our experiences, the clues in what we are, are everywhere. And so when you read some of the material from the religious texts and the ancient books, they only affirm those things. They don't negate it. Um, not all texts, not all books, because you have a lot of people writing a lot about, about a lot of different things that they believe in personally over eons. So it, this, you, you have to kind of weigh everything you consume and read and and look into you have to weigh it with a, a little bit of skepticism and also inst- and, and more be more objective don't just take it as the gospel be objective because if you start taking everything as the gospel then you're not going to be able to consolidate you're not going to be able to um come to peace with the conflicts of ideas with the um hypocrisy in many instances of positions that different masters had because just because someone was a master in their time or their work has been become something of a phenomena doesn't mean that they got everything right because at the end of the day we're still all human beings and we can all still misconstrue or we can misunderstand or we can um we can we can make mistakes we can make mistakes um so you don't always want to take everything as like the literal truth. And honestly, for those people who are fundamental, like, you know, the Bible is true hundred percent from the beginning to the end, then you try to follow every single thing you are taught by that book because it's impossible because of the contradictions, because there are elements that do not 
connect with each other. There are elements that do not work, that do not fit. There are things that just do not, um, there's no continuity. There isn't a proper form of continuity. And that would make sense because, you know, the, the Christian, the Christian faith is founded on the idea of one person, which is Christ. Um, and Christ had a bunch of theories and ideas and teachings. And then a bunch of people came along after him and then wrote about that. Then a bunch of people came after them and wrote about those people's ideas or some of their opinions and then meshed them in. And then they included, okay, well, you know, let's not just put all that together. Let's also include um, the entire uh, Jewish religious system and lock it in place with, with all of what Christ was teaching as well. Like, okay, well, <laughs> he was he spoke up against some things. He affirmed some things. And then if you take what he taught and you try to line it up with the law of Moses and some of the ancient, uh, teach some of the ancient laws, um, they don't go together. <laughs> they don't, they don't, they don't always fit and they actually contradict each other at times. So there's no way to, there's honestly, objectively no way to follow the teachings of the Bible and be able to do it a hundred percent correctly. There's just no way to do it because you're going to run into contradictions and you don't get to decide when it's appropriate to do this and when it's appropriate to do that. You don't get to decide when it's appropriate to look the other way to get something um, lined up with your your idea or your issue or your need in the moment. And that's what has happened. A lot of people have done that, um, but you don't get to do that. You're still accountable to the integrity of the work, to the integrity of material. And you have a lot of individuals who don't really operate from a place of integrity. They just kind of say whatever and then they make it fit their their belief system and that's when you run into issues and that's when you run into uh problems because at that point people get there are enough smart people out there that will start to call you out on it today there are um back then like i said there's no way to look something up but now you can look something up and fact check everything uh so it's really not going to help anyone if you call yourself a thing and then you don't operate from the positions that that thing holds. So you got to stay in, in integrity, right? You got to, you got to try to align with that. Um, yeah, Rhonda, Rhonda says, I know the first time you explained the real meaning of sin was such a wow moment. It really opened my eyes and heart to how many things have been misunderstood over all these years. Thank you for any, I absolutely, I, this is what got me. This is what helped me to like open my eyes because when I was going through my own questioning period and this happened like I, I and i mentioned this before this happened right after i realized i was gay and then on top of that you know i had to understand my spirituality because being religious and being spiritual are two different things and there are spiritual religious people but there's just also religious people um by default and in my family most of the people most of my family members were not devotees of the faith they were just religious um by conditioning so I only had like two, I think two, two uh, relatives who would read the biblical text from beginning to end, like every single day um, for years. And the, the one person that did it every single day for years, apparently she was a very, very nasty person um, before she got into that habit. Apparently she was a very nasty person um, and she was not a, a nice person. She was very cruel to other family members. Um, and then as she got older and then began to throw herself into her studies, she actually became very, very sweet and compassionate and nice. And she wasn't very um, aggressive or angry. And I think it's because she 
actually spent time understanding the text and really gaining the wisdom that it had to teach her. And I think that was important to her. And, and, and I can, I can, I can acknowledge that I can respect that because she put the work into it, right? She put the work into actually understanding the material. So for myself, when I was going through my whole like questioning period, um, I would struggle because what I was taught to believe was that I was an evil person and that I was going to go to hell and you know, all of that other stuff. And when I would ask family members, they repeated the exact same garbage because that's how we were conditioned to be. That's how we were taught to, to operate and to mentally think. Um, and it wasn't until I made, First, I had to accept myself and in accepting myself, that was a long process. I mean, I remember when I admitted to myself that I was gay, I was in, I got home from school and it happened with a a kid from school. She was a friend of mine. Um, One day, I don't know what we were talking about, but one day she said, Fernie, you just need to stop acting like you're the straight man and just acknowledge that you're gay. You like guys, you're, you're attracted to men. It is what it is. Get over it. Move on. And in some ways it was like, what did she just say? What did she just call me? Like, it was like a, just the idea of someone even saying those things to me made my heart beat faster. And I was like, and it beats faster because it's the idea of being found out, right? It's the idea of feeling like a fraud in a world and being found out, except what was being found out wasn't, wasn't a bad thing. It was just who I was. And it took me time to accept it and to like, you know, embrace that. So when I did, which I remember coming home from school that day after that, that, uh, very targeted attack of words from my friend, which was actually a great gift to me. I had to really sit there and like grapple with that. And I sat on the couch and I stared at the ceiling and I was like, should I, should I, um, accept this? Should, should I just go with it? Or, but if I accept this, if this is true, what does it mean for the rest of my life? I, I'm going to be a failure. You know, my family's going to hate me. They're going to be so disappointed with me. Um, and so all those thoughts were in my mind. And But I just accepted it. I said, you know what? I'm just going to go for it because I feel I there was a feeling of being called within me to accept who I was and to not fight myself. And it was during the time also where I was learning a lot about other spiritual uh, systems of thought and beliefs and so forth. I was still considered Catholic by all uh, accounts, but I was already looking into other faiths because I wanted to understand. And that's so when I accepted it myself, my sexuality, then the next stage was okay. Now let's deal with the religious issue because at this point, my religion essentially is is at risk. And if I do not accept the conditions of my religion, then am I going to suffer? Is is something bad going to happen? And, um, I had to grapple with that. Um, and I accepted who I was and in accepting who I was, it went against the belief system. And so I did that. And that's was honestly the beginning of my spiritual journey. And that's when everything changed in my life from a, a, philosophical and ideological standpoint. Um, and I started to really, really examine everything much more objectively. So I think it was a really good, big gift to go through that experience and to have that kind of clarity. Um, 
I, I don't, I wouldn't want anyone to have to go through all that because that, I mean, you, you really are tested as a person, especially when you're born in this world and you are picked on and teased and you don't know what's wrong with you. And you're thinking something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. You know, these people are all turning on me for no reason other than something must be wrong with me. So you buy into the idea that something's wrong with you and everything that you do in your life, you try to fit it into this idea of what's wrong with you. Um, but to be, to be released from that, to be, to have that sense of like, I'm going to live authentically as myself and I'm not going to allow myself to, to morph into whatever others want me to become because they think that that's the only way or that's the right way. Um, and I encountered a more loving world. I, I believe my experience of this world is more loving and is that's been my experience. Actually, it's not my belief. It's an experience. I experience a more loving world, a more giving world, a more compassionate world. I feel like I connect more with the, the, the integrity and the love beneath people's um, beneath the surface for people more easily, because I know that that exists in all of us, that we all, you know, in order to have a more loving experience in this world, you have to actually, you have to, put out love. You know, you have to give it, you have to share it. You have to be a loving person. And, you know, at first it may be uncomfortable and especially for males, uh, because, you know, in Texas and in Houston, you know, we have that toxic masculinity, you know, you, Hey bro, what's up? What's up? Like it's super, super like bro-y or super, super, um, you have to be, you can't be weak. You can't show emotion. You know, I remember one of my cousins, her husband, you know, when, when my cousin's mom passed away, my, uh, my nephew, my, her son, he was emotional on the, in, at the funeral. Like he got teary eyed and his dad was getting mad at him for being emotional. Like this is death. Like this is grief. This is normal. What you believe is okay and unacceptable. That's not okay because it goes against the norm of what is natural for us as human beings. Why are you subjecting this child to an ideology that makes them think they cannot shed a tear when they have lost someone so important to them? Like, why would you even think that that's normal and that's rational to feel that way? It's not because it's not a human experience it's not a natural human experience. Um, but I think that I experience more of a loving world because I have that mindset that the, everybody has that capacity. Um, has everybody been able to express it? No, this is why we have the world, the way, the, the reason why the world is in the, the state it is in, because people don't realize their authentic nature and that capacity and they don't exemplify it. They don't share it. They don't use it. They go off of what they're told to be and told or conditioned into uh, how to operate. And that's what we end up getting back. We get all of this you know, craziness because of this. Um, Valentina says, uh, also, there are no levels to sin. Who said that one sin is worse than the other? People pick and choose what works best for them. It's all hypocritical. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, it, you have some countries where, you know, for the, for the, for the, child to start having sex for it not to be a crime. In some countries, it's like, 14 years old in some countries it's younger than that in some countries you know 18 some countries 21 so it just depends on the country and they're all deciding what's appropriate they're all deciding what's okay now if you think of a, of a young girl um who has just finished these the period of puberty you know if people think of a girl that young which is usually what around like 12 13 um immediately people think like that's awful that's wrong or that's bad but it depends on what country you live in because all the different countries think of things differently. And to some people, well, the moment that she is done with her period, that means that she's a woman now. And now that she's a woman, a man can have their way with her. And so even though the maturity level, the mindset, you know, the experience isn't there, the physical components are done. 
the male can take over. And sometimes in instances you have younger girls who are given away um, or sold off to these older men because they believe it's appropriate and it's okay in their culture. And they have laws to support that and to, 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 to verify that. Um, in other countries, it's different here. It's different, you know? And, and, and so it's hard in every single country and different people will believe in different things back in the time of Christ. Here's an example of this, you know, back in the time of Christ, when Jesus was a baby, um, it was, it was normal that if you were going to, um, if you wanted your child, essentially their way of baptism or blessing a child or, um, abiding by the law of Moses, abiding by those rules, you had to offer up to sacrifices for the child. Cause you just had a child, this child in order to exist under these laws and be protected and, and to be a servant of God and, and worship God properly, you had to provide two sacrifices and they're usually animal sacrifices. And so you had lines of people who were constantly at the temple who would purchase animals or give their animals to the priests who would essentially, um, they would, um, in instances, torture, um, and, kill these animals um the idea the ideal was you to give like a, a sheep and then a dove jesus's parents uh, joseph and mary they were so poor they couldn't really pay for they couldn't really offer a, a sheep or a goat um so they gave two doves two birds and so they offered two birds and two birds were sacrificed um but that was just the normal tradition so like today you know especially in catholicism if you have a child you're supposed to go and take the child to get baptized at the church and just have some water you know jesus is the one that started that you know he got he had that he got that rolling even though it was actually initiated by john the baptist his cousin but um it was something that he started you know it became it became a norm for them and so the idea of sacrificing animals or throwing throwing these animals into a pit of fire, um, that was, that became an old way of operating, an old way of, of conducting, um, the, the, uh, kind of affirming your faith and belief and honoring the God, the only God at that time. So that was the idea. Um, so if you had dogs, cats, they were, they were, offered up as sacrifices. Um, and we still have that to this day. We still have, um, animals that are sacrificed for pagan rituals or for certain types of, um, other, other belief systems. So that happens to this day, but that was norm. That was standard at the, in the time of Christ, you would line up, you would offer up, um, your sacrifice to God. And if you didn't, then you, you were, you were, uh, essentially that was the law. If you didn't do it, then God knows what they were going to do to you. But most, most of the times, if you didn't follow the law, depending on the kind of law, but you, you were probably going to get stoned. Um, they, they didn't really crucify, um, that many people. That was a Roman thing. And they only did that. They only did that to threats of sedition to the Roman empire. If you threatened the Roman empire or called yourself a King or a God, you essentially were being seditious and you were trying to overtake the empire and you were going to be punished and sought after. And there was a ton of um, messianic figures at that time who came up, showed up and called themselves the Messiah and they were killed. They and hundreds of their followers were killed. And once they, they dissolved or were destroyed, the followers were, whoever remained would end up going on and either they would join another movement or they would just stop and they would submit to what is the norm and the standard for the society at the time. Um, yeah. So that's, that's pretty much the thing. So, but here's what I would say, you know, look at yourself. If, if you really want to be an authentic spiritual person, um, and spirituality has many faces, right? Around the world, spirituality has many faces. If you want to be a spiritual, authentically spiritual, spiritual individual, then don't take everything by word of mouth. Question, 
ask questions, be objective, look into something, research, you know, find, discover, seeking you shall find, knocking it shall be open to you. And it really is because if you intend to understand something, you're going to find a way to experience the understanding of that. You're going to find there will be a way made for you in this world um, where the truth comes to you. It may not come right away, but it will come at some point. Um, And so you just have to consider yourself worthy of asking that question. Consider yourself worthy of being entitled to the answer. You are a human being on this planet. You are taking resources from this world. You are also giving, you know, giving of, of yourself to this world. And we also are, you were contributing to the destruction of this world as well in the process. We're responsible for all of this. And so in order for us to create a better, world and just to create a better life for ourselves we need to look at ourselves and examine and reflect and look at what we fundamentally believe what we what we think because what we think we believe and what we actually do how we actually operate are two different things and if you are not in alignment with who you authentically are then you need to self-examine is who you are serving you? Is it making this world a better place? Is it providing for you to have less suffering and for others to have less suffering or do you need to change? And if you need to change, is do you need to change in alignment with the belief system that you have pretended to be a part of? Or do you need to simply look elsewhere or look beyond that to find other ideas, other examples of living that may better serve you? And that's the way to do it, you know, because there's plenty of people out there who lead by example, and you really want to operate from that state. That doesn't mean that people aren't are that people are perfect or that people who lead by example don't make mistakes. They do because if they believe in something, they also have to they have to subject themselves to that understanding that that piece of information, that idea, that tenet. They have to subject themselves to that, and so we have to. Um, keep ourselves accountable to ourselves because ultimately at the end of the day, we're the ones that have to deal with the consequences of any actions and anything that we do or go through. So if I'm living a life of suffering, then am I contributing to my suffering? How am I contributing to my suffering? Do I need to change what I'm doing that is contributing to my suffering? If I do, okay, what do I need to change and and self-examine? And there are a lot of beliefs and ideas within religious traditions, including Christianity, that actually give you a clue as to what you can do if you will just look deeper beyond the title, beyond the interpretation of people about the piece of uh, information about the lesson, etc. Look at yourself, dig deeper, ask yourself those questions, and then if you need to make a shift and do a course correction, then make the course correction because it will serve you and you will you will be... Um, You will be pleasantly surprised at how much your life can change in the positive when you actually take responsibility for the life that you lead and for the energy and for what you produce in this world. Thanks for tuning into the show. To check out other podcast episodes, my free social media events, and all the other cool content I put out, just visit my website, fernandomarone.com. Um, I'd also really appreciate your help in boosting my podcast series audience. Just give my show an honest review on your preferred podcasting app and share the show link with your social media peeps. I love you all. Till next time.